and welcome to Action Speaks Media Radio. Today, how to reconnect with Mother Earth and why this is important to your health. Hello, I am Action Speaks Media reporter Callie Mitchell. Earth, nature, the animal kingdom. Up until now, these are things we as humans have taken for granted, conquering rather than coexisting. Documentary filmmaker and founder of the Web of Life Foundation, Elke Dor, has spent her career bridging the disconnect between humans and nature. Recently back from showing her latest film, Bison Nation, Walking Sacred Sites, Elke joins us on the show today. Elke, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It's always a pleasure talking to you and sharing my work with you. So thank you so much. Can you tell us a little bit about your your two films that you've produced? Yes, I've produced two documentaries so far. One on the Mexican gray wolf, uh, which are the uh, most endangered land mammal in all of North America. And the other on the bison, the last wild bison in the northern hemisphere. Both are animals that are very, very dear to my heart um, because both uh, represent wild migratory nature. I love all animals and all life forms, and I believe that we all belong here on this earth. Uh, But these two animals have been especially dear to my heart since the wolves have been almost wiped off of the face of the earth, and um, so have the bison. And yet, all of us, and most people don't know that, um, have been in the Northern Hemisphere, have been depending on the bison at one point or another. Even in Europe, there's still some wild bison left, and our ancestors depended on them for everything, just like the people here in North America. So this episode is about our connection with Mother Earth. But is our connection with the animal kingdom also needed? Do we really need to worry about how we interact with and even treat these wild animals? Yes, everything is interconnected on this earth. And we can't take anything or anybody out without compromising the whole system. And the same with the bison and the wolf. The wolves are called apex predators, meaning when they come back, uh, everything else comes back. For example, in Yellowstone National Park, it has been found that after the return of the wolf in the 1990s, um, everything else came back because the deer and the elk had to move more, move around more, and they didn't just stand around anymore and browse everything. So um, there were more bushes and more vegetation, and then more birds came back more rodents because there was more um, life space for them as well. And um, we even found birds that hadn't been there in a long time that returned after the return of the wolf. Same with the bison. The bison are very important for the health of the land, especially the prairie. We have the the prairie bison here. In Europe, we have the wood bison. They uh, have been engineered by the earth, basically, to and evolved with the earth and all the other creatures in a very beautiful uh, system of interdependence and balance. And the bison used to migrate a lot and their uh, feet were treading loose all the seeds in the soil, for example, and uh, their wallows where they were taking dust baths were filled with rain after a storm, which in turn made sure that the amphibians were thriving. They were very interdependent with the uh, prairie dogs and in turn the ferrets were around because they were eating the prairie dogs. It was really this amazing system that played itself out over thousands of years and um, that is now really compromised with the absence of the bison. And also the bison in, um, in many... Um, stories and tales has been called the sacred feminine and with the return of the bison the feminine is also coming back which is the quality of uh, nurturing, collaboration, coexistence and so it's very important that these animals take their place again uh, with us on this earth because they all have such an important role to play. What was it like? Because I know that you traveled with these herds of animals, what was it like living in the wild and living, you know, near these these animals? 
it's been it's been amazing. I just to camp out just to talk about the bison now. Just to camp out on the prairie has been so amazing because you're in the sea of grass. It's almost like an ocean. It's, it has the feeling of an ocean uh, because it's moving, it's alive, it's vast, and it's also very dependent on the weather, especially thunderstorms. So to be in a tent in the middle of the prairie in, during a thunderstorm and to really witness what it's like when lightning strikes around you and uh, what impact that has on all the plant life and all the animal life. It's, it's just really amazing because in our modern day society, we're so afraid of everything. We're afraid of being outside, we're afraid of the wind and the elements. But I was really exposed to the elements during that time and it really gave me a whole new appreciation of our bodies who can really, oh, my body in particular, who can really uh, adapt to these um, to these conditions, and when I was studying the impact of the newly reinstated legal hunt on the wolf population, I was out in the cold, and I really noticed that my body got so used to it, because I loved what I was doing, and I loved being outside, and I wasn't getting cold or sick or anything like that. I just became one with the weather and the landscape as well, and in terms of being with the animals, it's just really beautiful to see the bison in action. They have a very intact system where they care for their young. And they um, they really are good parents. And one of the tribes that I talked to, they said that when there's um, parents, human parents, that don't know how to parent their young, they don't get punished because most likely they didn't have good role models either. But they are encouraged to watch the bison parent their young for a few months so they can learn how to be good human parents. And that's really beautiful because um, like one time there was a grizzly bear that was looking for maybe an old, uh, sick and uh, weak um, calf, bison calf, but immediately the bulls and uh, all the other adults formed a circle around that calf and stared him down and he had no chance to get to it. So that's one... Um, one uh, part of it. The other part is also that they mourn their uh, their dead, and uh, it's really beautiful to see that. I was once invited to a sacred hunt by one of the tribes, and um, they called in the bison because uh, the bison was supposed to make the the sacrifice of giving their lives to the people for a sun dance and also to feed the very needy people, the most needy people in the tribe, in the nation. And so um, it was very beautiful to see because basically these bulls gave themselves to the hunters and after the kill, the family would come out and say goodbye to the animals. It's important to understand that the people and the bison evolved together and that the bison came to this earth to give their lives to the people so that they would have not only something to eat but also they would have the hides to make teepees and shelter and clothing and all kinds of tools and toys and um, they were using the bladder for carrying water. So, so the people and the bison were very interdependent as well. So that is, that is an important thing to know because with the return of the bison, the spirit of the people is coming back as well. Because after they weren't allowed to uh, hunt anymore or after there weren't any bison anymore to hunt, they were introduced to white flour and fried foods and lard, which was really um, not a good thing for their, their bodily systems. And so a lot of them up to 50% developed a diabetes. But if the bison returns to this earth, the harmony and uh, the spirit of coexistence and collaboration will return as well. Would it be safe to say that we're connected to nature and nature is also connected to us? Yes, we are nature. I always say we are nature. We are human nature. <laughs> nature in human form. And one day I heard a song, it went something like, we are the outside earth. We are made from earth and we are wandering the earth um, 
as the outside earth. So from my own experience, I can really say that I am the earth and the earth is me. And uh, um, I, um, I, I feel that all the time. Um, that I'm part of the earth and when something happens to her, I can feel it in my own body. And I can feel it when I, when I camp and I, I lay on the earth. I can feel how she's doing in that particular area. I can feel if she's not doing well because we have sprayed pesticides or um, there's other chemicals on her. It feels like she can't breathe. Mm -hmm. And other times I feel like she's really in, in good shape and she's very healthy depending on where I am I am camping. So I can feel her breathing and so I can feel her moving and sometimes it's almost like she has the hiccups and something <laughs> is moving um, underneath me. It's really it's really quite beautiful. There's a li she's a living, breathing entity, at least in my life. Mm -hmm. You often spend a lot of time in nature and then come back to the city. What is it like going from from being in nature and living amongst the animals to coming back to the city and then and then returning back to nature after that? What is that like adjusting and transitioning? It's actually all the same now. I love people just the same as I love nature and the animals, and I only go out into the wild to be a bridge maker and a voice and a communicator mm -hmm. to bring back the stories and the, the film material and, uh, and uh, the pictures so other people may connect too and understand how it is too. I didn't used to be able to do that. It was very difficult for me like to go into a large city and spend any kind of time there because there's so much different energy going on from so many different humans mm -hmm. and a lot of it is not very harmonious. So I had a hard time and plus I grew up in a village of 180 people. So like when I used to do an internship, let's say in Berlin with four and a half million people uh, population wise, that was very difficult for me. I wouldn't leave the house after after my work was done. Uh, but um, now I feel like I have relaxed around that, and I can navigate the different energies um, that are around me quite easily. I just let them go through me. I don't hold on to them. Or I don't label them. I don't feel like they're good or bad. It's just different. There's human energy, and it's different from the energy of the stillness of a forest. But I can appreciate both of them, and um, and actually, it's, it's quite nice now to do my work in larger cities. I just did this outreach tour through Europe with the film material and my message, and doing presentations. It was very beautiful. I could really. Um, um, very much appreciate the humans that had set up all these opportunities for me, my friends, my family, and um, also what a city has to offer. But uh, I'm also quite happy now to be back in a semi-wild environment at the moment. Mm -hmm. Now we're starting to realize, you know, with technology and cell phones and everything, we're starting to see studies done and information come out about how uh, where humans are so detached um, from each other, from this connection with the, uh, each other and nature and how um, the use of the internet and cell phones uh, is now proving to be detrimental to our health and all of this uh, new information is coming to light. What do you see for the future? Do you see more people uh, embracing a reconnection with each other and nature? Yes, I think all this comes from that big deep need of ours to, to reconnect, but we just don't know how to. Nobody's teaching us that, neither in schools nor in the families that are more like gang-oriented, you know, get a certain type of job, make a certain type of money, mm -hmm. and you'll be okay. So we don't really have elders or anybody who is telling us, you know, um, how important these things are and how to to really truly be a true human being, a connected human being. And so um, so I feel like um, often, you know, we have substitutes. We, we substitute our, our cell phone for friendship because it's easier. And sometimes we don't know how to make contact with others because our hearts are, 
are kind of closed and and uh, we live in a very fearful environment. But I do see that whenever people do come into the wilderness, their faith lights up and they feel so much better and they feel that there's really a benefit in being in nature. But the only problem that I see with that is Again, it's human-centric. We feel better when we go into nature, but we don't think about what we are doing to nature while we are there. Mm. So I, I have um, what I call a reciprocal relationship with all other life forms. So I don't just take and feel better. I also give back because I am very much um, aware that my energy is is can can be destructive or can be beneficial to the rest of creation um, depending on how I use it. So I always go into the wilderness in a state of uh, fearlessness, emptiness as in not wanting anything, not wanting experiences or photographs and in a loving state. And in that state anything can happen. Yet I see with a lot of my uh, fellow human beings that they go into nature in a fearful state, like they bring bear spray and guns because they're afraid of all the uh, inhabitants of the forest or the wilderness. And that really, you know, maybe they feel better after they come back, but not nature and not the animals if if we meet them with fear and with a closed heart. So I always liken it to... Well, how would you feel if your friends came to your house and said, beautiful house, great food, great atmosphere, but I'm afraid of you. You have to go (laughs) because um, I like the space, but I don't like you. And so that's what we're often doing with the animals. When we encounter a big animal like a bear, we, um, we always greet that animal with fear more often than not. And that is very difficult for the animals because it's their um, habitat, it's their place where they're living, and if they come with fear and with a not-so-benevolent attitude towards them, it really affects them. Mm. And so um, I work a lot with uh, people on how do we really go into the wilderness? How do we prepare ourselves to be in such a pristine place because um, animals, unlike us, don't have an ego, and uh, so they're much more pure of intention, I would say, and it affects them a lot more when we are when we're disconnected and disharmonious when we uh, encounter them. Often in our society, you know, you only count if you have that degree, if you have so much money, if you look a certain way, but not in nature. Everybody counts. And it's all this, this system that works together so beautifully because not just the wolf as an apex predator or the bison as a as a large land mammal count. It's also our bees, for example. You know, we wouldn't have any food if we didn't have ball pollinators. And I feel like that that's very, very, very important. And it became clear to me that by, for example, when I was working on the wolf song, by bringing back the wolf, the deer would benefit. Now, that doesn't go into our Western mind that that easily, you know, like how deer would benefit from the return of the wolves. We would think, oh, you know, like if there aren't any wolves, then the deer would be really happier because the wolves are not killing them. But see, the wolves were um, engineered to take out the old, sick, and weak, and lame deer and elk. And that way they are keeping the herd strong and running. And in turn, the uh, deer and the elk are feeding the wolf. So it's this very beautiful relationship. And in areas where there aren't any wolves anymore, where it's void of wolves, you know, you see chronic wasting disease among deer because their population explodes. And if one of them gets sick, you know, it really spreads. Whereas if the wolves are around, they would catch that sick animal and they are able to... uh, to digest and um, and eat that sick animal without getting sick themselves, and so um, they really keep diseases from spreading. And it's a beautiful system once you see how it really works. Mm-hmm. And plus, animals, unlike us, are also not afraid of dying. They don't have that concept of dying. So so it's not like oh gosh, I don't want to be eaten. I don't want to 
they die, you know, like, it's more like one gives themselves to the other when their time is right and when their time has come. So that's a really beautiful lesson for me, too, that I've learned. Mm. Do you have a website? Yes. Yeah, I started the Web of Life Foundation, Wolf. It's www.weboflifefoundation.net. So weboflifefoundation.net. And then I have a personal one because I work with people on um, connecting even with their pets or with the animals around them. Mm. And that is elkedur.com, E-L-K-E-D-U-E-R-R.com. And drop me an email if you'd like to or if you have any questions. Yeah, likewise. Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. And uh, I just hope that we'll find our connection again. It lives in our heart. It's not gone. So I can only encourage people to look for it because it's a beautiful life lived from connection rather than from separation. We as human beings are connected to the earth. But what does that mean? What are the implications? In an age of cell phones and rubber-soled shoes, what does the disconnect mean for us, for our health? When was the last time you went into nature and walked around barefoot? A few years ago, the thought of walking around barefoot seemed bizarre to me, until I heard about earthing, better known as grounding, literally walking barefoot on the earth. Research and grounding has been going on for about 20 years, The results are, excuse my pun, groundbreaking. Here to tell us more is concept founder and author, Clint Over. Well, thank you for joining us on the show today, uh, talking about grounding, um, also known as earthing. First, can you just tell the audience what exactly is grounding? Grounding in the electrical world means to connect something to the earth. Uh, And the reason for it is because the earth has a negative surface charge, and that maintains electrical stability, it prevents charges and, uh, and the like. So earthing as it relates to a human being is similar. Uh, take your shoes off, put your bare feet on the earth, and then you conduct earth's ground. And uh, the term earthing arose from that process. So when you're standing barefoot on the earth, you're earth, or you're earthing. How did you come across the idea, this idea of connecting with the earth? Well, um, I spent 30 some years in the communications industry. This is like 20 years ago. But uh, in that industry, everything has to be connected to the earth. Uh, Like uh, amplifiers, anything electrical, you know, like cable television systems or telephone systems, anything that is electrical needs to be grounded. And the reason it's grounded is in case there is a, an electrical charge, like uh, it could be lightning or it could be static electricity, or it could just be electrical imbalances due to environments. And so the earth has this negative surface charge and so anytime anything's connected to it, the earth has, is, you know, infinitely large. And so it has this excess electrical uh, free electrons, let's say, and they equalize whatever is connected to the earth. It equalizes with the earth and maintains the same electrical surface charge. So when something is grounded, like your computer, like your refrigerator, or anything else, it's you're bringing, you're taking the housing of that device and holding it at earth potential, so there can be no electrical event. So my background is in that. Yeah, I started in the communication industry back in the 60s. One day about 20 years ago, uh, I was working on a computer and had some problems. I fixed it and realized that my ground wasn't working in the electrical outlet. So I fixed that. But afterwards, I just intuitively, I was kind of retired. I just intuitively asked, I wonder if there's a consequence to humans no longer being naturally grounded because the human body is conductive and when we put shoes on or rubber sole shoes or we're on carpets then we're no longer naturally grounded and it was an intuitive question and i didn't really know so i went home and i got out a bunch of my electric 
electrical stuff grounded myself. And sure enough, I found that there was a significant imbalance. And when I held myself at Earth Potential, especially when I slept grounded that night, uh, I started to feel the pain and inflammation in my body diminish. And so I said, there's something here. So I set about trying to do the research and pull together the, uh, the studies to validate uh, what the effect was. And that was 18 years ago. <laughs> and I'm still doing it. And we have about 20, uh, maybe 22, 23 peer published studies that demonstrate that the body, when it's connected to the earth, is at earth potential. And the consequence of that along the way, this was back in 98, 99. And at that time, nobody had ever heard of the word inflammation. Uh, or it was not used, it was used uh, more like if you sprained an ankle and it, and it swelled up, that was inflamed. Um, but chronic inflammation, uh, like in around two, 204, when uh, uh, inflammation, knowledge of chronic inflammation began to surface and manifest as the underlying cause of autoimmune diseases and uh, disorders. Um, that's when we started taking the research a little more serious and um, trying to, you know, demonstrate, validate the significance of simple contact with the earth. And to, to put a little context around this, is, is throughout all history, we were naturally grounded. I mean, we were always grounded. We, uh, for most of our time, we were either barefoot or we wore animal skins or we, and we slept on the earth. Mm -hmm. And it's only been a uh, few thousand years at best that we started sleeping above the earth. And, and there was in the last few hundred, last hundred years or less that we started wearing rubber sole shoes. And in 1960 is when we invented plastics. Uh, you know, that the, the um, like, like the bottom of the soles on shoes and carpets. Mm -hmm. Those came along in 1960. So this is all very modern, uh, this separation from the earth. So the question was, what was the consequence of all of this? In the early days, we recognized that if you're grounded and you um, ground somebody that has arthritis or chronic pain, that they have a significant reduction in pain. So based on that, uh, we began to try to understand how pain comes into being, what is the cause of pain, and it's kind of surprising, even to this day sometimes, and you look in the uh, you know, medical literature, the cause of like MS is unknown, the cause of lupus is unknown, the cause of chronic pain is unknown. The role that grounding played in all of this, we didn't understand until about 204. Uh, when Time Inc. published a big article on inflammation, indicating that you don't have all these health disorders that everybody describes what you have, Instead, is chronic inflammation, which <clears throat> which compromises the immune system, and then as that goes on, uh, then eventually different health disorders manifest based on your genetics, your lifestyle, and your living environment. How did you come about starting to do your initial research? In the early days, when I recognized uh, by grounding myself and a few associates, and they had significant reductions in pain and especially arthritis and um, you know, MS, those kind of things. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to get some people to do studies like at the universities and so on. And in the early days, uh, they weren't really open to it, but uh, Dr. Golly, who was an anesthesiologist, uh, who probably one of the more sophisticated type uh, docs who deal with how the body works and all these things, um, he took an interest in what I was doing, and but I was getting results, but he, nobody could understand them. So he said, let's do a study. He says, because what you're doing, there's something else causing this, not the grounding. And so we did the study, and then we have significant results on, um, mostly on related to cortisol, because cortisol is a stress hormone. Mm -hmm. And when people are grounded, the body is less stressed. So underlying that is when you get grounded, it reduces inflammation in the body, 
calms the sympathetic nervous system, which calms the fight or flight system, which which inhibits the production of cortisol, fight or flight cortisol. So anyhow, that's where it all started. And we did that study and then everybody said, oh my goodness, there's something here. We need to do more work. It's not a treatment, although a lot of people talk about it as a treatment. It's, it's nature. It is who we are. We are the earth is electrical, our body is electrical, everything in the body is electrical first, chemical second. And as a result, um, it's a challenging thing to put out there, uh, except that what we're trying to do more than anything else is just to get the science laid down and get it in the hands of the people who can use it. Especially in the first study, but since then, what kinds of transformations or effects are you seeing with your subjects? Well, one of the number one things that we do is we have in the past used a lot of thermal imaging because if you have pain in your body, uh, it'll show up as heat in thermal imaging. And so you ground people and the number one thing that happens is the pain will diminish in you know, 15 to 45 minutes. And what that means is if you go outdoors and stand barefoot on the earth, if you have chronic pain in your body, you'll feel the pain begin to subside and, and drain away. You have the parasympathetic inside that modulates whatever you experience to make sure that you are figuring, you have to take a second to figure out whether you're going to run or fight. It's the basic fight or flight system. So the problem is today we have so much stimulation in our environment. Um, and, and our sympathetic nervous system is chronically elevated. And so that chronically elevates cortisol, which creates uh, inflammation and eventually creates pain, and then pain creates more fight or flight, and so it's a vicious cycle. Mm-hmm. So when, you, when we ground people, what we, one of the main things we do is we see a significant decrease in sympathetic response, and then the parasympathetic comes up, and so that normalizes the vagal tongue in the body, balances the nervous system, and then the body can, uh, instead of fighting the effects of inflammation, it can go back and do the normal things that it does to recover daily, nightly, and so on. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. So the main thing that we looked at is a lot of muscle tone and the electrical phenomena of the body to the earth. What we're talking about ground is an electrical thing. Everything in the body is electrical. Every mm-hmm. cell, every thought, everything in the body is electrical first, chemical second. And how you change things is to move one electron from here to there. And that's you know, how it all works. So, so you have to have electrical stability. So that's what we identified mostly. And we've worked a lot with recovery, meaning uh, like athletes, for instance, if a, we've done a lot of work at the University of Oregon where we would take like athletes and uh, have them do workouts where they would normally have, uh, have you know, experience delayed onset muscle soreness. Mm-hmm. Um, and and uh, so that's inflammation. And so we would take two groups, one group we wouldn't ground, but we would monitor their blood and everything about them for like seven days. And then another group that was grounded blind, of course, and then we would measure and show the difference in what, so what, what that is about is what effect does grounding have on recovery, because in the athletic world, recovery is everything, mm-hmm. in order to get up and stay on the game, and, uh, uh, and so on, so basically what we learned there again was that when the body is grounding, when it, whenever you do, uh, whenever you create inflammation in the body, and you do that every time you exercise, uh, or an aggressive exercise of any kind, so you create inflammation in the body. So when you're grounded, that inflammation is automatically instantly reduced and doesn't create oxidative stress or chronic pain. So when you're not grounded, then you have the chronic pain, like three days later, you can't walk sometimes, and that's delayed onset muscle soreness. So grounded people don't have that. So it's those kind of things, trying to figure out what, you know, how do we determine what grounding is and how does it work? So the main thing that we learned halfway to, you know, maybe seven, eight years ago, no, 10, 10, 12 years ago, uh, is when they, the number one thing that grounding does is when the body is negative. If you were to look at little, you know, blood cells under, under a microscope, 
study how long do you ground people for what's their like what's their the regimen that you put them on Are they really that significant? Is this is this something that can actually change people's lives? Yes. And it's, it, the problem is, is how do you do it? How do you ground people? And, you know, when we did our studies, we had to create ground planes, which are grounded sheets or grounded pads or patches that are connected to a ground, you know, like an electrode patch. And um, <laughs> so those are things that you have to go do you know, in order to so how do, how, do you, how do we get grounded 24 hours a day that's the challenge of the day but what we do know is you can go let's see uh, you can go to the earthinginstitute.net or 
you can go on Amazon or anywhere on the on the net and read the book reviews and people's stories about her thing. So basically, answer your question is yes. Uh, if, if you have chronic inflammation in your body, if you have arthritis, if you have um, inflammation-related stress, chronic elevated chronic inflammation, meaning you are in a chronically elevated sympathetic state. As soon as we ground you, the first thing that's going to happen is it's going to dampen the inflammation, reduce the inflammation. The immune system or the uh, sympathetic nervous system is going to start calming down. Because when you're stressed, you, you feel agitated, irritable, anxious, whatever. So as soon as you ground the body, then the sympathetic nervous system calms down. The inflammation drops, the pain drops, then all of a sudden you feel better. Um, so as far as just general mood, grounding is uh, very significant. Uh, we work a lot with uh, children who have who are on the spectrum, let's say. Uh, they're living in a chronically elevated sympathetic state, so you ground them and uh, it, it's immediate and it's a significant effect. And this can be done just by taking a child outdoors, take the shoes off and let them run around the yard. Mm-hmm. Um, but for instance, I think what you're trying to ask me, somebody who has MS, which is a very common, uh, it's not quite as common, mm-hmm. uh, or arthritis, those kind of things. Yes, if they were to get grounded and stay grounded, I can, I can tell you, if they were to get grounded and stay grounded 24 hours, they can't have chronic inflammation. They can't have these health disorders. Wow. The problem is, is how do, how do we, uh, we think, in the 1950s, you know, 60, 70 years ago, that we started to make this big transition after the war. We invented all of these modern uh, technologies and everybody, you know, everything came along. All of the life appliances, homes, the whole world changed. But at that time, uh, you know, we started building the uh, home, then we started putting in lanolin and linoleums, and it was carpets, and then the rubber sole shoes. So that, how do we reverse that? How do we fix that? You have to have grounded carpets, you have to have grounded shoes. Anything you sit on, sleep on, or walk on needs to be, you need to be electrically conducted, connected to the air. Now, what's interesting is, air traffic control towers, uh, 911 centers, any kind of a mission critical environment, they have grounded carpets. Uh, anybody who works in a uh, factory or a facility where they have, where they're manufacturing software chips, assembling chips, software, or anything electrical like that, uh, they have to they have to be wearing their grounded for strap, which is connected to the ground, uh, to hold their body to earth potential so they don't create static charge, which when they touch a chip or software or something, it'll blow up the chip. Anybody that works in the dynamite industry, the gasoline industry, and anybody who has surgery has to be grounded before they can open you up. So this is a world that is out there, and the knowledge is searching, but nobody ever tied it to the body being electrical. Mm-hmm. Um, because we look at the body as food-related, nutraceuticals, and so on. But the body is the most electrical instrument in our environment. Everything, every cell in our body is electrical. It functions with it, you know, electrically. And so what we need to do is, it's, not, it's going to be your generation. <laughs> People who are going to say, hmm, there's something wrong here, we need to fix it. And we are going to find ways to reconnect electrically with our environment. And that's going to normalize the electrical stability of the body and the immune system. That actually leads me to my last question. Do you think or do you see this catching on in the future in the medical field or in, you know, professional sports or even in people's everyday lives? Uh, Yes. We've been doing this uh, research for 18 years plus now. And through that time, the, a lot of the high-profile athletic community, 
for an example would be the Tour de France, the U.S. Postal Team, the Team Discovery, and a lot of the other riders. They were the first to kind of adopt grounding mm-hmm. because they needed to recover every night so they could stay in the race. And we had, so that, uh, their experience migrated around the athletic and sports industry. So a lot of the very high profile people are grounded because they're, they have to recover. And this is something they can do. Uh, it's like um, Aaron Rodgers or people like that who are still in the game uh, at ages that are somewhat questionable. But anyhow, <laughs> um, the, so the, that world is using, but they're using it more as a recovery. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we have a lot of people in the uh, you know, music industry, film industry uh, performers who, you know, high output performers, mm-hmm. uh, that uh, they need to maintain their energy, maintain their health so they can, again, do what they do. Like, you know, for instance, uh, someone like Sting or somebody that's out there putting out a lot of energy every night mm-hmm. on tour, so they have to recover. So there's a large contingent in that group. And sports medicine, uh, and I, I athletic performance, that community adopts it, but there's no way to, it's not marketed as such, it's just kind of a thing in their industries. Uh, we, one of the last studies we just did, or, that was done at the University of Pittsburgh, or mm-hmm. in Hershey, Pennsylvania, at the Children's Clinic. Mm-hmm. And, and what they did is they would take and ground babies, preemies, who were born you know, early, and they have all the uh, stress-related issues like the butterfly because they're they're premature, and then they're in an incubator away from the mother and in a strange environment. So they end up with a lot of the colics and a lot of the lung issues, you know, all the, the stress issues. So I think there were 30 of them in this, this study, and the study's published, and it's available online at Earthing, uh, the Earthing Institute. And uh, so what they did is they would take an electrode patch, put it on the babies, ground them to the electrical ground in, in the facility, mm-hmm. and it would normalize vagal tone in just a minute, meaning their, their nervous system would calm down. And that would reduce the, um, the fight or flight. And then all the hormones would start to normalize and the vagal tone, main thing is the vagal tone uh, normalized. And so, but yeah, so here's a solution for a big problem. Babies and uh, a lot of the babies, and almost all babies, because all babies have those things. Mm-hmm. Um, but so how do you get this into the environment? How do you get this to the people? Mm-hmm. That is going to take a long, long time. I would imagine there's a couple million people over the last 10 years that have gotten grounded on some basis with uh, either a mat or a sheet or a patches. Or, and I think there's probably 5 to 10 million that are out there spending time barefoot now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, uh, it's not a, it's not something that you can just put out there and sell it. It's something that people have to experience it. They have to have an issue, they have to experience the effects of grounding on that issue. And they say, oh my goodness, this is important. I gotta do this. Or I need something, I need to get my mom grounded or my sister mm-hmm. or my, or my child. Um, because everybody's stressed today. Do you have a website or anything uh, that provides more information if any of the listeners want to learn more? Yeah, the EarthingInstitute.net has uh, all of the published papers. They have a lot of uh, personal stories, uh, a lot of practitioners' stories. Um, that's the most, I mean, that's the one source where most everything gets deposited. Find ways to incorporate routine grounding into your lifestyle. Uh, there are products out there, but it's and, and there's nothing wrong.
wrong with it. Something they're kind of rudimentating in the sheets are probably the best because you're not doing anything to lay down. Um, but everything else is a little challenging. So eventually, we hope that, and we see it materializing. There's going to be grounded shoes. I think um, Reebok they sell quite a few and there are others coming along. And uh, it's just something that takes 50 years to get here. It's going to take 50 years, mm-hmm. you know, to fix this. It's going to take a different generation to fix it than the generation that created it. Mm. Indeed. On August 21st, 2017, some two to seven million people migrated to view one of the universe's greatest phenomena, a full solar eclipse. Some describe the experience of a full solar eclipse as an eerie and intense experience. Some even say life-changing. A solar eclipse occurs when the moon crosses paths over the sun, covering it to some degree. A full or total solar eclipse occurs when the sun is 100% blocked by the moon. A full eclipse is only visible from a very narrow track on the Earth's surface. Frank Villa, a math and physics professor in Denmark, is among the many solar eclipse chasers and photographers. The eclipse on August 21st was Frank's eighth eclipse. Can you tell me, uh, what's it like experiencing a solar eclipse? So that was sort of how much planning I've been doing. And then suddenly, 
funded day where I had vacation from my work and I decided now is the time to start planning more seriously where to go. I went on the internet and then uh, Beth Danza, who is living in Interwoven, uh, she posted something in one of the very serious Solar Eclipse Chaser groups that I'm a member of. And this is a group of mostly scientists and people who take this very seriously. And she made this post very lighthearted, saying, we're a bunch of hippies that are going to have a festival and love and all that. And she was kicked out of the group within, I think, 30 seconds or something, but by an administrator. But in that brief time, I, I managed to see that, that she said, if anybody's interested, write an email or private message. And I, I managed to, to look her up. She has a very easy name to find on Facebook. Um, so I wrote this DM and she was very welcoming, said, please come. And, and I, I asked her where about it would be. And then she said it was exactly at this crossing spot that I've been looking out for. So it was perfect planning. Um, and that's how I ended up there. How does that solar eclipse and being at Interwoven Permaculture Farm differ from the other experiences you've had? Thank you to our listeners for joining us on the show today. 
Any feedback or comments about today's show can be emailed to actionspeaksmedia at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram. Tune in next week on Action Speaks Media Radio.